to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in for episode one of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Well, here we are, the maiden voyage, uh, and we're going to start off with a really awesome guest here for episode one. But before we get to that, I want to thank everybody who has signed up for the podcast launch party giveaway that we did. We gave away some awesome prizes, uh, two $100 gift cards to Gulls, as well as a bunch of swag from Point Blank Armor. Now, I want to thank Point Blank Armor for providing all of that gear that we gave away. Uh, All of our winners have already been notified, so if you're listening to the show, you should have already received an email if you signed up for the giveaway and were selected as a winner. So congratulations to all our winners of all that really cool and awesome stuff. Now, if you missed your opportunity to sign up for the giveaway, uh, please, no fear, uh, I will be doing some other giveaways later on in the future. So just stay tuned and be prepared to sign up for the next one. Now let's go ahead and get started with episode one here. We are going to be talking to Robert Whitaker of Blockchain Intelligence Group. Now, these guys, they are focused on helping you with cryptocurrency investigations. In this episode, Robert is going to explain to us how they do that. First of all, they offer services related to helping you with your investigations, consulting, testifying in court as an expert witness, as well as they also offer training where they will come to your agency and assist you in learning about all things related to cryptocurrency and how to conduct investigations, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, financial crimes, all of your traditional crimes nowadays are involving cryptocurrency. And if you don't know how to conduct an investigation around cryptocurrency, uh, you're falling behind flatly. So um, Robert and his team over there at Blockchain Intelligence Group are gonna help you get squared away. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started with my interview with Robert Whitaker. Well, Robert, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? I am excellent. So I would like to go ahead and just we'll, we'll dive in here and uh, would like to talk about uh, what you guys are up to over at Blockchain Associates. So can you tell us about your business and how you're helping out your clients or customers? Well, at Blockchain Intelligence Group, we make a software platform that uh, allows investigators and financial intelligence units um, who use our software to investigate cryptocurrency transactions, um, the flow of cryptocurrency. They can monitor it, they can track it, they can trace it. And it allows the investigator to see into the transaction where it came from, where it went to. And we also um, because in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies out there, the senders are anonymous, it allows us to, um, or allows the investigator to have attribution applied. And what I mean by attribution is um, what entity may own that 
cryptocurrency transaction. For instance, we have large uh, exchanges around the world that deal in cryptocurrency, and they allow customers to buy and sell crypto and, and trade it with other people. Um, so with that attribution, we allow them to know who sent, um, at least at a high level, who sent the cryptocurrency and who received it in what, uh, what entity. So if you send a, a transaction from Kraken in San Francisco over to Coinbase in San Francisco, uh, we look at those transactions. We apply um, some algorithms and heuristics to the transaction. Um, we generally interpret who it belonged to and who received it, and we attribute those transactions for the investigator. That allows the investigator to then go and um, serve a judicial process, a subpoena or something like that, and then pick up the ownership of those accounts, allowing them to essentially get to the person's name of, of the transaction. And that, that helps, uh, that's a, that's a big win for them because, um, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of transnational crime, terrorist groups and professional money laundering groups switching over to cryptocurrency because of its pseudo anonymous nature. That's awesome. I got to admit to you, uh, my, my knowledge on cryptocurrency is quite limited, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm alone in that. Even in the law enforcement world, uh, it's kind of a, a new thing and, and how we conduct investigations relating to cryptocurrency is still something that, you know, the path is still being paved in that. Um, and uh, it's awesome to connect with somebody like you that has a very deep understanding of those things. Cause I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, you know, I actually ran into um, several years back when I was on, uh, uh, I think we were talking before the show a little bit, and I had mentioned to you, I was on a U.S. Marshals Task Force uh, several years back, and I attended a, a day-long training on cryptocurrency investigations. And nothing against the instructor at the time, but uh, I think I retained and understood less than a third of that. And so um, it's, it's kind of a complex thing, right? Yeah, it, it is complex. Um, we also do training. I spent... I spent a long time when I was with Homeland Security Investigations uh, putting this program together and actually training. And, and I feel your pain. Uh, we've been there and done that. Uh, we, we try to provide or I tried to condense it down to um, what investigators retain. So you're right. There is a lot of need out there for training and investigative tools in cryptocurrency uh, because this really is a new frontier. It's one of those things that... Uh, uh, I don't know. You're, you're, you've been in this business a long time in law enforcement. Uh, I remember the days when the old MDT came out in the car, right? So you had yeah. this boxy computer sitting there. It had an orange screen or a black and white screen, and it was yep. like a CRT. And all. And I was a young officer at the time, and I was thinking, that's cool technology. I know what computers. I can do this. Exactly. Uh, and here's the old guys going, yeah, I don't want a car with that in it. I'll still write it down on my log sheet every day. And that's what went on for a couple of years, and then suddenly – the old guys are like, no, I want the car with the MDT because it makes my job easier. Yeah. Um, and then the, then the younger guys like me were relegated to writing down on the log sheet, call the call the call. Um, so, you know, technology has a place. Law enforcement doesn't like change. I get it. I understand it. Just like the old MDT. But when you grasp it and you start using it, it will make your job easier. It'll make your life better. Absolutely. That's, that's a really great point to make. And, you know, I got to say that uh, you know, that resonates with me and, and my experience, just like you said, you know, it's, technology has just changed so fast over the last 20 years, not just as a whole, but specific to what we're dealing with 
in law enforcement. I mean, my first patrol car still had whirly lights on it and I was carrying a giant brick for a radio. And, you know, these guys today, um, and even when, when I left uh, law enforcement uh, almost two years ago now, I mean, that, things just changed dramatically. And uh, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up, especially with things like this. It, it is indeed. Um, so you got, you got to look outside the, outside the box when you're in law enforcement. Um, one of the things I, I said to myself and I said to a lot of people who worked for me at the time, I said, look, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There are companies out here in the world who see the problems just like we do. And sometimes they see them before because they're really into, into technology and they will develop the, the technology to assist us. So don't think we've got to invent the wheel here. We just got to find the technology. It exists. Go get it. And that's exactly the case uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency and investigations involving uh, theft, fraud, scams, you name it, in cryptocurrency. The, the cases go on and on. Um, and I get calls all the time from very, very frustrated um, investigators from all over the world who just yeah, sure. want some help. Yeah. So I want to get into the, the weeds and specifics a little bit more on some of the, the exact things you guys do. But um, before we do that, I want to kind of touch on a couple more sort of overall things about what you guys are up to. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can uh, maybe just paraphrase for me, what would you say is the one single biggest problem that you specialize in solving for people? And what is the outcome that can be achieved uh, by working with you? So, well, the biggest problem is something we already touched on, and that's the training part. Getting investigators to understand what the problem is. Get them to understand the technology. The technology, yes, it's it can be complex, but we don't have to make it complex. Uh, I have a friend of mine, and he would say, cryptocurrency is the only form of value. I have to go in and explain how it works to investigators. I don't have to explain how the dollar works or the yen or, you know, how a financial account works at Bank of America. I don't have to explain that. But I have to explain how cryptocurrency works or they just don't get it. And I agree with that. It's a new technology and we have to continue to explain this. Now, 20 years, 30 years from now, we probably won't have to explain it because the younger generation gets it. And the younger generation will eventually become law enforcement and they'll understand it. But for right now, this is where we are. And the single biggest thing I can say to anyone about cryptocurrency is learn about it. Play with it. Get yourself a wallet. Get yourself an, uh, an address. Trade some Bitcoin with your buddies and understand how it works. It'll make your life easier because this is a freight train coming down the tracks and you've got to understand it. In fact, it's such such a large freight train coming down that the U.S. government and governments around the world are looking at a digitally backed dollar, a cryptocurrency essentially, for the Fed. It's coming. you got to learn. Yeah, that. That, this is a bit of a rabbit trail, um, so we maybe won't spend a ton of time on it. But um, since you brought that up, I, I, I'm not sure how to feel about it. Like my, my initial response to that is, ooh, that seems like a bad idea. But I also recognize that that's probably at least in part due to the fact that I really don't understand cryptocurrency all that well. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? So my thoughts on the government-backed cryptocurrency that we would use in exchange for the dollar, so fiat currency being the dollar or coins of any nation uh, that's legal and tender. So inserting a cryptocurrency backed by a nation in there kind of makes me step back and go, mm, I don't know, guys, because if you think you're being marketed to now by all these private companies that, that oh, have yeah. more value, 
wait till the U.S. government gets. I mean, that that data is valuable. It's valuable in the sense that they'll know where you spent a dollar at. They'll know how you spent that dollar, what you bought with it. Um, and the trail goes on of all kinds of different data data that's gleaned out of those transactions because it won't be pseudo anonymous like uh, like Bitcoin is, um, but it will be widely open to the government. So um, I, I am in law enforcement. I spent 23 years in law enforcement. Um, I, I do support you know rules and regulations, and we got to have rules. Uh, but there's some points that I draw the line and go, well, I'm just not sure if the government needs to know that about me. Um, that's that's my own personal opinion. I don't, I don't. That's just me. Sure. No, and that's exactly what I was asking for. Um, you know, this uh, this show I think is intended to be a place where um, personal opinions are welcome and and not uh, <laughs> not shied away from. Um, you know, I think there's. Uh, uh, this is another rabbit trail. We definitely won't go down this one, but there's too much political correctness in this world. And I think we need to share our opinions more. So anyhow, uh, <laughs> so as it relates to, um, you know, kind of where we, we left off there and, and talking about what you guys accomplished uh, for, for your customers uh, and helping with training and investigations and that sort of thing. So would you say that the, the desired outcome that you're trying to help people achieve is to just have a, a sense of confidence about being able to conduct these kinds of investigations, whether it's because they've been trained to do it and have an understanding of it or because they're working with you directly? Yes. So we definitely want to get the training to them and then we want to add pieces to that. So the training is highly important. And then we want to add our technology to it as well. Uh, I know that sounds a little self-serving, but you know, technology takes time, money, and effort to make and technology solves problems. So the training gets them to the point to where they can use our technology because you need to have that understanding. And then you, once you get into the technology and you see it working, you, you, you immediately start to get it. You're like, okay, I can do this. This technology has solved lots of problems because if you look at this problem, cryptocurrency transactions in a more um, analog form or written out form um, of just raw data of, of the way you would look at it on the blockchain, um, which I don't expect you to understand the term, but if you do, great. Um, if you look at it on the blockchain, all you see is is um, public key hashes to public key hash uh, of a transaction, maybe some value, a time and date, um, but there's no real names or anything associated with it. And then you start looking at uh, what we call inputs and outputs, where the money has flown, where the value has gone. And I'll interchange money and value the same because um, I look at Bitcoin as money, um, but it is just a source of value. Um, so you're, you're following this value from place to place like you would if you were looking at a person's bank statement. But there's nothing attributed to it. There's no names here. There's nothing. We allow you to start looking at the names and where it went and how the transactions look in very visual forms. Um, I can take, I can take a, a CSV spreadsheet into court that maybe has a thousand transactions laid out in nice linear rows and columns and try to explain it to a jury. And they'll walk out of there and go, I have no idea what that guy just talked about. But if I take a picture in there that has arrows pointing to other picture, other you know, circles and dots and says, this, this value flows from here, from this person to this person to this person, and show it to them in nice graphical form, they walk out there and go, that was easy, got it. That's what we're trying to get across. That's what we're trying to do. Make the investigator's job easy, where they can take it to a prosecutor, and the prosecutor can take it to a jury, and they can walk out of there with a positive outcome. 
Awesome. Easy is good. You know, in my experience, having uh, been an administrator and leading law enforcement officers, e- easy is, is almost necessary in order to keep properly motivated to work on these kinds of cases. I mean, I've had experiences in the past where guys or gals will, will look at a case and they're like, oh, it's so complex. And, you know, they end up dragging their feet on it or, or whatever it may be. And, you know, don't fault them for that. But we have to provide them in those sort of circumstances where we see that happening. We have to provide them with resources like this uh, and the training you guys offer and the consulting to be able to be empowered to feel like they can take on those kinds of cases. And so easy is good. It's great. I always like to think we like to have the easy button in front of us, right? Yeah. I, I like to know a little bit more um, about the software solution you guys have. And, and, you know, I'm definitely very curious about this stuff and I'd, I'd like to know more. I, I want to be careful though. And you kind of let me know if we're uh, hitting toward this point. I don't want to ask you to disclose anything that could potentially jeopardize these sorts of investigations, because obviously this is a public podcast, but I'd love to know more about how you're able to attribute those transactions to an actual individual and how that works within your guys' software, which is called Clue, right? Q-L-U-E? It's Clue. It's called Clue. It's kind of a spin on, you know, Clue, the word Clue. Uh, It stands for Qualitative Law Enforcement Unified Edge. Okay. Um, And we actually have two products, uh, two products in in the same uh, whole so we have an overarching product called Compliance Suites, and inside the Compliance Suites, we have Clue for law enforcement and what we call BitRank for financial institutions. Uh, recognizing that even though financial institutions are into investigations in cryptocurrency, they generally are not into criminal investigations. That's why we broke them out in two pieces. Um, sure. We will allow financial institutions to use the Clue product. Uh, we do. Uh, there's nothing there that is evidentiary to the point to where it might um, mess up a case or, or, or skew a case somewhere. There's not, nothing that can be materially changed or falsified or anything like that. So, you know, there's no, no issues on the evidence side on that, on that, in that respect. So both sides can use it. Um, and what we do is we collect data. We collect blockchain data from Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, ERC20 transfers, um, um, XRP, uh, XLMs coming in shortly. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SP. I mean, we, we have a huge list of supported cryptocurrencies. We data mine all the the block data, uh, and then we go through transactional data, transactional history. Uh, we have our own special way that we gather um, attribution to certain uh, addresses, uh, all the blockchains, and we have a we have a pretty good size uh, open source intelligence team also that scrubs uh, the internet, basically. The internet's a great resource if you're into intelligence. Um, we go out there and we scrub for scams. You know, this guy lost X amount of crypto on this scam and stuff like that. So we try to do them. Um, we're always looking at what the federal government does and the federal agencies because they have a really good, um, they have some really good investigators in the crypto space. And when they publish indictments, we go scrub those indictments for who did what and how it happened and how the investigators solved the case. Um, and we, t- we glean information out of there too. So, um, we, we constantly strive to make our product better. Um, it's all about data, data, data. And then after the data, it's all about delivering it to the front end, to the investigator, um, in a usable format that's easy for them to understand. So if I'm in, inside your software and I'm using that for my investigation, is it just a matter of like, how is that data populated? Do I, you know, just plug in a, a subject's 
name and uh, whatever other demographic information I may have about them? Or, you know, how does that work? And how does that bring me information that helps me solve my case? Right. So we are all about the check the choke points. So what we do in the crypto world is we don't apply Adam's name to a transaction. And we don't do that because our software is consumed by the public um, in the terms of financial institutions. Um, so we don't apply your name to it. Uh, that would lead us to all kinds of problems with PII and other things. But what we do do is we allow you to insert a cryptocurrency address or transaction into a search bar. The, the, the software clue will then grab all the data related around that transaction and show you how the transaction occurred from before the transaction occurred to the transaction you're interested in and the address you're interested in to the next one that you can keep expanding it out, moving forward or backwards until you come to an attributed um, transaction or entity. Say, say for instance, um, we just use one, Coinbase. They're my favorite. All those guys over there. Uh, goes to Coinbase. And then you, as a law enforcement officer, use your subpoena power and send a subpoena to Coinbase. They send you back the person's name because uh, Coinbase and other cryptocurrency exchanges around the United States are regulated by the BSA, the Bank Secrecy Act, and they have to have these regu regulatory items in place. Know your customer. They have to know who the transaction went from and to. Um, they have to track all this stuff. Um, so they are great resources when you're in the financial world. Um, and that's, that's how we allow you to go to choke points. To, to deal with cryptocurrency, you have to put up fiat currency first in most cases. So if I want to buy um, Bitcoin, I just don't walk in and say, give me a thousand dollars of Bitcoin because they're going to say, well, give me a thousand dollars. And that's what happens. You go to a recognized exchange and there's some other um, ways to get crypto that are more into the not so lawful ways, but um, the lawful way to get crypto today is you go to one of these recognized exchanges, you give them fiat currency, they give you cryptocurrency, and then you can start exchanging it with yourself if you want, or your friends, or other exchanges, or trade it, or hold it as an investment vehicle. But the know your customer information acquired by that exchange when you opened it is as valuable to the investigator as anything they have going. That is what they want. That's the holy grail. Because if you can attribute a transaction, you know who did it. So can you tell me then, what is sort of the most common way that you see investigators are coming up with that information? Because what I'm thinking through here in my head is, all right, because well, I've done a number of narcotics investigations and cases myself. And, uh, you know, let's say I've got uh, somebody that I'm looking at who I know is selling narcotics in my jurisdiction, and I'm working on putting together a case on them. And maybe I've got some unofficial informants that are telling me, hey, he's using cryptocurrency for transactions. How, how do I find that information to be able to uh, start to go down this path that we're talking about now uh, using your services? You know, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked me that because that is, that is essentially where our training services come in. So how do you recognize a cryptocurrency transaction? How do you recognize a cryptocurrency is essentially in play? Now, going back to your drug analogy, you know, if you have an opioid problem in your jurisdiction, I know that a lot of fentanyl and other opioids are coming across the southern border. I get it. I know it. I've worked out here my entire life. But I'm telling you right now that you very likely have a crypto problem as well because that's where uh, a lot of those fentanyl tablets came from in the early days. 
is dark markets supplying large amounts of, of, of tablets, um, thousands and thousands in the shipment from overseas and also interior and domestically in the United States of pressed fentanyl tablets uh, being marketed as, as uh, counterfeit Xanax or Oxycontin or Hydrocodone. Now, that being said, the way you know is, first of all, you have people, human human uh, intelligence, they tell you, this guy is dealing crypto. So that's, that's uh, you know, clue number one. Clue number two is when you get a chance, you need to just not serve that search warrant when you get a chance for just items related to drug trafficking or other financial records. Because other financial records here could be cryptocurrency. Take your CFA with you, your computer friends agent, and seize that computer. Get the devices in the house. I don't care how small they are. You know those little Bluetooth dongles that you have? Yeah. Like a mouse in? Seize that too, because that can have an entire operating system of Tails or I2P or or some other encrypted um, app um, that is used on a computer. Seize that. Go. You need to have that stuff. You could find the whole wealth of your investigation right there in that little piece of equipment. Get into the phones. Yeah. You got to get into the yeah. phones. You got to get into the bank record. Look for those ACH trans- transactions to recognize exchanges. Look for those wires coming in. Um, so grand jury subpoenas for you know the records on the financial side, and don't dismiss these uh, transactions over to uh, recognize exchanges. I mean, you have to know what you're looking for, but get them. Seize the phone, dump them. There could be wallets on the phone. And most importantly, know what the evidence looks at like when it's written down. Is there a seed phrase on a piece of paper laying on a desk somewhere? Is there an address, a Bitcoin address, laying on a piece of paper, written down on a piece of paper, sitting on the desk? I mean, it's just a number of alphanumeric characters, you know, uh, scratched out uh, on a piece of paper. If you don't know what you're looking for, you might be like, oh, there's nothing there. But that one address... I'm not kidding you, Adam. You can lead yourself back to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in cryptocurrency sitting on that piece of paper and you don't know it. Man, you're making me think that I've probably come across some of those in, in search warrants I've done and just not recognized what they were. Um, but <laughs> you make a really good point there, too, about uh, making sure to update you know, your search warrants and what you list in there as seizable items because – uh, let's face it. I mean, we, we all work off of templates, uh, every single one of us. And, uh, if you're not using templates for your search warrants, you're, you're doing it wrong because you're, you're wasting time. But, uh, the, the problem is you use these templates where you kind of have, okay, this is my, my narcotics search warrant template. Right. And so I know that these are the types of items that I'm typically looking for in a narcotics investigation. And you can go through and fine tune it, take things out, add things if you need to. But what we're not really good at, or at least I know I wasn't, is keeping my templates up to date as technology changes, as things change, as methods of uh, trafficking change. Uh, And so uh, this is a good time out right here to tell everybody that's listening, if you're using templates for your search warrants and you don't have items listed in there related to cryptocurrency and and digital technology, uh, go and update those now so that you don't forget. Because I'll tell you... um, uh, I've been on a couple of those search warrants where we're like, Hey, did anybody put cell phones in here? And we're like, Oh, Oh crap. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's the last thing you want to do is end up in that situation. And then you got to, you got to pause and write another one and get it approved. And so um, that's, that's a really great point uh, to be looking for those things. And so back to the, 
the numbers, uh, you know, talk about the, the account numbers that you, you ought to be looking for that maybe are written on a piece of paper or in the house or whatever. Um, I, I'm not even sure I would know how to recognize um, if I saw a piece of paper with some numbers on it, that that's a cryptocurrency account number. Is there a formula or is there a way to recognize that? Well, you know, cryptocurrency addresses uh, or what we call the public, the public key, um, they do look different depending on the cryptocurrency. So a Bitcoin address will start with a one or a three or a BC one in front of it. Your Ethereum address will start with a zero and an X. Uh, so th those are just two examples. The, you really need to see a picture of one and say, yeah, that's a cryptocurrency address. Because once you see it, you'll immediately recognize it. And that's where we have reduced this down, this training down from highly technical down to look for this, um, look for these. We, we, and I love my law enforcement guys out there. Um, I, I've been doing training in law enforcement for a long time now. You have to put it in terms that people understand that they get. You have a different level of understanding of technology in a classroom before you and across law enforcement altogether. Just put it in the best terms and simplest terms as possible, and everyone's going to get it. Everyone will get it, and that's what we try to do. Um, and and that, that allows you to go to step two of the investigation. You know, step one, you got to recognize you have a problem. Step two, identify the, the actors. And step three, identify the evidence and take and, and you go from there. So we're all about helping um, officers, agents, deputies, uh, you, you name the, the, the agency type. And we're all about getting them to the next step and helping them out. Awesome. Now, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit already uh, earlier in the show here uh, when we were talking about uh, the clue software and tracking different transactions. You started to talk about some of the, the different digital currencies that you have on your, uh, your list of ones that you're able to, to work within. Are, are there's just so many out there. Are, are there are there digital currency forms that you guys aren't able to track? Uh, and what's the status of that? Is that just kind of like one of these, hey, it's new and we're trying to work on getting that integrated? Or what does that look like? Right. I'm so glad you asked that, Adam, because this is a huge, huge market. In fact, I'm looking at CoinMarketCap right now on my other screen um, while I'm talking to you. And there is, uh, they list 6,525 cryptocurrencies today. <laughs> I would not have even guessed that number. I was going to guess somewhere around 1,000. <laughs> right. So you, you think of that and you go, wow, holy smokes. And those cryptocurrencies are wrapped up in about 26,000 different markets out there. You know, di different, in different ways to be used different, different ways. Um, so we can't cover those all. We, we, we just can't do it. We, we, you know, it would take billions of dollars to probably cover that. Um, and, and all kinds of uh, computing power and um, infrastructure and stuff. And we, we to be honest, with you, we, we don't, we can't. Um, not, not at this point, maybe one of these days, but right now, we don't. So what we do is we look at the top cryptocurrencies out there. So the top cryptocurrencies out there right now are Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP or Ripple, Tether, Chainlink has come out of nowhere, um, but they're up there. Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Bitcoin SV. So we, and out of those, we cover, you know, we cover all except Chainlink um, and uh, Tether. We have XRP in our tool, and we're really looking at Tether or what, what they know as the Omnilayer, which is, um, uh, we do identify, but we don't allow you to explore too deep into it. 
Um, so we'll be adding different things in as we move along. But we cover, uh, looks like about the top six or top seven cryptos on the market with more to come. And that's how we kind of gauge our interest. Um, and we also talk to law enforcement all the time and ask them, uh, what are you seeing? What kind of cryptos do you see out there? And what our federal uh, friends out there tell us is uh, Bitcoin is still being used, and it is. It's uh, the most dominant crypto on the market. Ethereum and the ERC-20 tokens are of interest, um, certainly with the um, ICOs and the other digital assets that are coming along the ERC-20 uh, blockchain. XRP is great for banks, so we cover that. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Bitcoin SV, uh, those are, we all also cover those, and that's what our law enforcement agencies are telling us we need to cover. So we're doing it, um, and we have more to come. We have plans um, to, well, we have XRP coming in, Stellar Lumens is coming. Um, I think I think we'll probably make a decision shortly on Binance Coin um, and a couple others, but there, there's what we have. Um, I think we have a good offering on the top uh, top seven cryptos out there. Well, it's good to know that you guys are staying on top of that. I, I, I'm still, I'm just amazed at how many there actually are. And I, I'm thinking or, or wondering, I guess, do you think from, from your expertise uh, and perspective on this particular topic, that at some point down the road as cryptocurrency becomes more of an accepted thing, not just by the, uh, the criminal element, but by people in general, does that number of cryptocurrencies end up just coming down and coalescing around uh, a, a smaller number of them. I mean, that's typically what we see with any sort of technology is that there's just everybody runs to that market, right, when it's new. But as it becomes more generally accepted, it sort of coalesces around a few providers. What are your thoughts on that? So I, I agree with you 100%. I think as time goes on, we're going to see a coalescing. And you know, honestly speaking, a lot of these different uh, digital assets that we see traded on um, on exchanges around the world, they're not necessarily meant for that. I mean, that's that's their investment vehicle, and that's how they're making money to continue on their blockchain for whatever that blockchain was designed to do. Um, the coin or token is the investment vehicle that allowed them to get to where they are in many cases. Um, so I do see as a payment system um, co- coalescing around different good for payment um, cryptos out there. I personally think that Bitcoin, what is still dominant out there, people understand Bitcoin, they've heard of Bitcoin, is still out there. Bitcoin is not really the best payment vehicle out there because it does have a few few problems. But technology solves problems, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, there may be changes to the code that, that actually make it better. We'll see. Uh, I'm not going to comment much farther than that because I don't want to um, you know, bash anyone here because they're all good sure. terms. Um, yeah. But we'll see how it goes, and I think you're absolutely correct. We will see coalescing around uh, different cryptos because of the way they're used, because of their ability to handle transactions, or in a lot of cases, how fintech treats them and making them easier to use for the common user. Now, do you think that's actually going to make these sort of investigations any easier as that coalescing occurs, or, or can that make it more complicated? I mean, I would think that having fewer would make it easier. But at the same token, when you look at the growth of some of these companies like Facebook, um, the bigger that they've become, the harder it is to actually uh, work with them from a law enforcement capacity and get information from them. So what are your thoughts there on that? You know, that is the beauty of cryptocurrency. If you have an open blockchain like Bitcoin, 
you're not depending and there is no company called Bitcoin and there is no company called blockchain. These are all public, um, public chains are open for anyone to explore at any time. You can, you can today go to um, any one of these three explorers and just look at it um, and look at the blockchain. There's a public it's for you to view. And that's what makes, that's the allure of crypto with the financial privacy built in and everything's open to see, right? So that was the biggest allure. Like that was Satoshi's dream when he wrote it. Financial privacy and, and making everything open. So privacy for the, the individual, but open for the world to see. Um, and that, that was the allure. That's the, that's the big thing. So as Bitcoin gets bigger and bigger, it still maintains that it's open, that it's public. You can see the transactions. You just don't know who did the transaction. Uh, that's the pseudonymous. Got it. Um, now, as we start to coalesce around different things and we see different regulation coming in, certainly the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, has brought in recommendations for many, many countries around the world that uh, are trying to um, append um, different travel rule information to the backside of cryptocurrency tra transactions. As we see that coming in, um, we're probably going to see some changes in the crypto market as we go. Um, but those are things that uh, we're still waiting to see happen. Um, I think they will, we will see some dynamic changes. We're in early days here. This is such a nascent technology. And people say, well, Bitcoin's been around for about 10 years now. I know, but that is nothing compared to what, how long currency's been around for. Around yeah, yeah. We are still, this is an infant. And, um, and the world is changing rapidly and it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you on that. Um, but I mean, I guess that's the truth for any technology, really. Hey, just me here cutting in for a quick break. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, you need to. I'm going to be dropping some more episodes here over the coming weeks, and I don't want you to miss a single one. I've got some awesome guests lined up that I'm sure you're going to want to hear from. So please go to wherever it is that you prefer to listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show. Right now, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Castro, iHeartRadio, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Podchaser, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Amazon. Now, if there's a place that you prefer to listen to podcasts that wasn't on that list, would you please email me at adam at psi.chat and let me know what that is. I'd be happy to submit the show to that directory. All right, let's go ahead and jump back into the show. If we may, I mean, I could talk about digital currency all day because I think it's just a fascinating topic and there's obviously a lot to unpack about it. But I want to talk about something we haven't talked about yet that you guys offer as a service that you guys also work with helping with investigations related to encrypted communication, such as through Telegram and other platforms like that. What else can you tell me about that? Well, you know, we have a perfect storm brewing and the perfect storm brewing for the criminal enterprise around the world or criminal groups around the world, transnational crime especially, um, is encrypted communication married to encrypted money. So when you take encrypted communication, telegram, signal, uh, allure, and there's, there's, there's others out there. And then you have SIM cards, um, that, uh, you can spoof SIM cards. You can have different ways of, of, uh, adding, you know, almost like a little burner SIM card, but you put in your own phone number you want to have the call come from. Uh, kind of scary stuff. So you marry up communication that cannot be intercepted on a T3, 
for instance, or uh, or just there's no there's nothing there. It's, it's encrypted end to end, and the only way to get any parts of these messages is actually get the phone that it may have been transmitted from if there's anything stored in the device memory. So you know we we are looking at partnerships uh, around around the world that will allow us to start bringing in some more information uh, about this stuff and how to gather information from encrypted communication. But right now, to be honest with you, it's very, very difficult because these are really good applications. Telegram, Signal, um, I, I still don't trust WhatsApp. Uh, pardon me. Yeah. That's my opinion. I'm not, I'm a big fan of anything Facebook owns. I think there's probably data being gleaned. Opinion only. I'll, I'll put that there first. Um, now, when you start talking about real encryption, Signal, and I was just reading an article um, not too long ago about uh, some of these protests going on around, around the country and the way they're using signal to communicate. And they're doing that for a reason because law enforcement can't intercept that. They, there's nothing there to be gleaned out of it. So that, that is an issue. And really, our, once again, going back to law enforcement and training and education, we're, we're also including in our, our cryptocurrency education series and, 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 and trainings out there. Please look at the encrypted communication. I call it the death of the T3. Um, and for those that aren't aligned, maybe not, don't know what a T3 is. That's a Title III intercept where the agencies get a, get a, uh, a court order to intercept communications on the phone. Uh, it was really easy when Ma Bell was around. You just clicked right in and listened to everything. It was fairly easy when it's cell phone to cell phone. Not, and you know, it was, certainly when it's radio to radio, there's no real interception problem there. But now, um, I call it the death of the T3 because when you marry up uh, encrypted communication and try to intercept it, you come out with a big fat zero and you marry that up with money. So now we have two sides of the transnational crime, um, uh, two, two sides of the three things they need, which is communication, money, and logistics. Well, two of them are covered by encryption and that makes for a real dangerous uh, concoction for law enforcement. Uh, and that, that really is where we're going with, 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 when we talked about encrypted communication, we offer the training and the knowledge surrounding what, what you can and can't do with it. We also offer knowledge and surrounding around PGP, pretty good privacy, PGP encryption, um, which a lot of, a lot of people on the other end of encrypted communication, speaking more about email or messaging, um, are going to PGP encryption and, and other types of encryption out there. And we offer some training for UC agents out there on how not to get ferreted out by, you know, missing something in a PGP key, uh, signing it wrong, not including a signature, all kinds of different things that uh, that will certainly give you away um, if you're if you're caught if you find yourself working in an environment that your bad guys requiring PGP keys. Sure. What sort of information are you training officers on related to? these encrypted communication apps and, and what to do with them. Right. So, so we're training them on what kind of trails each app leaves uh, on a device, if there's any trail at all, um, how to recover okay. that information. And then, uh, like I was saying just a minute ago, we're also training uh, on how to correspond using PGP keys, what it is, how you generate one, um, how you correspond with them, how you decode one, uh, how you send a signature, uh, and what to do and what not to do if you find yourself um, mixed up in a PGP communication um, trying to get access to something. A lot of these dark markets out there will require you to only um, only communicate using PGP. Uh, and then if you sign it wrong or you don't recognize something 
along with that message, then you could, and I'm trying not to give away too many secrets here. Um, you can find sure, yeah, being locked out of any one of these accounts because you didn't pass the I'm not a cop test. I got you. Thanks for putting all that together for me and, and demystifying that. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I've, I've used a couple of the examples I've used up to this point have been really narcotics cases. But obviously, I know that that's not uh, the only use case uh, that you guys run into. Would you say that um, narcotics cases are the most prevalent with these types of encrypted currencies and communications? Or is it something else like sex trafficking or, or something else entirely? Well, nowadays, I like to tell people out there, you 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 take out fiat currency, the dollar, and stick Bitcoin in there, and any scam that uses crypto can or fiat can use crypto. Um, that being said, we we have assisted on cases involving human smuggling, human trafficking, straight out scams, IRS scams, CRA scams in Canada, um, straight out all, uh, remote into your computer scams, um, all we took over your device scam. Um, they and we also have now we because we have encrypted communication, telegram and signal, we see chat boards that are luring people in using the encrypted communication and then they're enticing them to invest in Ponzi schemes and they're just straight out losing their money. Um, and then they people will call us and say, um, could you please help me? I lost X amount of money in this scam. Can you help me? And we, we ask them well where what happened and they start telling us about a telegram chat or a signal chat or, you know, these groups that are formed on these encrypted communication boards. And, you know, I almost don't have the will, but I have to tell them there's not a whole lot we can do for you um, because because of what happened and the way it was conducted. Now, as we get better and technology gets better, um, we're hoping we can do more for them. Um, but these, these are tough cases because of the encryption on both sides. Sure. Now, you guys also offer services where you will testify in court on a, a cryptocurrency case. Is that correct? That is correct. We, we have been, we have provided testimony to federal courts, uh, or federal court in Florida around cryptocurrency. I won't mention the case because it is a high profile client. Um, but we did provide testimony and, and that testimony was accepted by the court apparently. So we, we have done that. Uh, I've testified for it many, many times. I'm sure you have as well. So we do make for for good testimony providers around cryptocurrency. Um, so if that service is needed uh, by an agency out there, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? Uh, how do the transactions work? Or just looking at your evidence and saying, yes, that's fine. It looks like you guys have a good case. Or looking at your evidence going, that's wrong, and you're going to get eaten up in court over this. Um, yeah, that which is so, so, so valuable to have that sort of, a, a, a second eye to look at those things and, and draw attention to them, especially when it's not too late to correct it. <laughs> exactly. I was just talking to a law enforcement agency yesterday on the East Coast. They were I was reviewing a case for them, um, and I, I brought up a bunch of points that they were unaware of. You know, like Ethereum can't be transferred on the Bitcoin blockchain. That's wrong. If you go, to, if you, you, you'll never get anywhere investigating that. One, if you try to present that somewhere, it's going to be wrong. So we need to get to the bottom of this. You need to go back to your victim and ask these questions instead. And, you know, they, they, that's what they do. And it works out well for them because, you know, then they're not trying to investigate a case that's not going to pan out for them. Or if somehow they make the ends meet, then they go to court and a good attorney backed up with another expert in crypto says, 
that's just wrong altogether. It never works. You don't want to be that investigator. You don't want that. It's just yeah, that you know, killed. That's just a mess. Yes, absolutely. Now I assume that you offer this uh, expert testimony for any case, regardless of whether you guys were consulted or on it or, or worked on it with that law enforcement agency or not. We will do the review for any law enforcement agency that asks us to do it. Um, and, you know, we're equal opportunity. I hate to say that to the guys because I'm law enforcement, but we have had defense attorneys come to us and ask us about it. Sure. But, you know, I, I've always looked at that sort of thing as uh, really just a challenge uh, to, to be better in my investigations and to take advantage of these types of expert resources when they're available to me. Because I do know that the defense attorneys know about these resources. And the last thing you want is to be the one that wasn't prepared and the defense attorney is. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the truth? And I think to some level, most of us have been there before where we're like, this isn't going well for me right now. Um, and yeah. that's a really awkward place to be, especially on the stand. Uh, I think every yes, officer can think of a, a situation like that. So, you know, we, we offer those review services. Even if you just want us to review it and say, look at this or look at that, or if you want us to testify, um, you know, we, we do do that. I really enjoy working with law enforcement on these cases. It expands my knowledge even more because I believe there's research involved. Um, and it obviously helps the agency and officers. At the end of the day, it's the right thing to do because people, real people have been harmed and it's the right thing to do to go in and present all you can present to make sure there's a positive outcome for these cases. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked a lot here so far in the show about uh, the the way that you help law enforcement officers and agencies succeed in these investigations and and uh, the benefit to consulting with you guys and working with you. Um, and we've talked a little bit about what failure looks like, too. Um, you know, we just touched on that just a second ago. But can you tell me, do you have any examples of um, some failures that you've seen uh, what's at stake? What's at risk here uh, to try and muscle through one of these investigations on your own when you're not really uh, clear on how to investigate it and what the facts are and how to go through it? Well, I think one of the stark failures that we have, and we just talked about the encrypted communication and telegram and signal, um, one of the failures that technology has today is there's no way to see into that. So uh, that, that that's a failure on technology side. Will it get fixed? We don't know, but that's just one of them. You know, there's, there's all kinds of cases out there that we look at, and because of the anonymous nature of crypto, we look at them and then we have to go back to our client and go, you know, we just we just can't fix this. There's nothing we can do here. It just, these people were really good. And I had a case out of California that involved about $350,000 stolen out of a, what we call a hardware wallet for crypto. And I traced it all out, and I traced it out, and I finally got to the point where I just had to call the, the complainant back and say, you know, I don't have an answer for you. I know that you lost your crypto. I can point you in a direction to where information may be available and you can take it to a law enforcement agency and they can try to prosecute it. But the fact of the matter is, is how you lost your crypto, I just don't know. And was it a case of the, the device was hacked? I don't know. Was it a case of someone he knew getting into his computer and making uh, and, and getting access to the device? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I have some theories around it. But there are going to be a lot of days in the cryptocurrency encryption world and the encrypted communication world where as an investigator, you just walk away and go, I can't fix it. I can't solve it. 
But I will tell you this, and I, I tell this to all of my students and certainly on my video series, um, the blockchain is a permanent ledger. It never goes away. It doesn't forget. So go back and keep looking. There may attribution may come later. It may come six weeks later for one of these transactions. It may come a year later. Go look again. Keep revisiting it. Uh, watch that address. Watch that transaction to see if attribution is added after the fact because the blockchain doesn't forget. Now, I say this and I'll say it again. When I first got in law enforcement, I had a good friend of mine. He looked at me and said, Rob, he said, bad guys in this world don't get paid to run, but we get paid to wait and catch them. We get paid to sit right here and wait. Just be patient. And that's, that's what a lot of investigators have to do these days. Be patient. We're getting there. Absolutely. So now, big part of the audience for this show uh, obviously, bulk of it is, is law enforcement, um, private security. But to, to be more specific, um, we're, we're also talking to a lot of law enforcement leaders and trainers uh, on this podcast. And so I'm curious, what can you share to those people specifically? You know, who is it that they want to train within their agency on cryptocurrency? Is that the average patrol officer? Is that just investigators? Um, and really, what's uh, what's at stake if they don't? Well, I think there's different levels of training for different peoples and different roles, different law enforcement officers. For your patrol officers out there on the street, patrol has their hands full going from call to call these days. Uh, um, yeah, I've, I've been there. I feel for these guys and gals out there. Call to call. But they do need to know what general recognition of crypto is. Um, communication on the phone, um, different wallets, uh, just a decent understanding so when they go take a complaint, involving I lost my crypto or I transfer crypto or I bought something with crypto, you know, complaints can arise in different ways. They need to have a basic understanding of what it is and how to record the best evidence on the scene at the time. Now, if you're a detective, um, you need to have a much better understanding because you're looking a little deeper into how this all works. I will, I will tell any agency out there, if your gun crimes unit doesn't know about crypto, you're missing the ball. If your drug crimes people don't understand crypto, you're missing the ball. If your financial investigators don't understand crypto and how to investigate and have tools available like we offer to you, you have missed the boat. It has sailed right by and um, you are really not uh, providing the best services you can to, to your community. And I, I, I don't say that lightly because you know we all want to do a good job. But the fact is, is I get called on a daily basis by law enforcement agencies around this country um, who say, can you help me? I do it most of the time for free, uh, but it takes a lot of time to do this. You, we've got to go from uh, a small amount of, of knowledge and expand that knowledge around law enforcement agencies at all around the country. Um, and your investigators have got to understand this. This is the way the world's going. Um, this is like saying when the horse was, you know, st still the preferred mode of transportation and you saw the car, this is like saying, that car is never going to make it. Those are those guys. Um, this is like saying Kodak is still going to offer a film for their cameras. One of the biggest blunders in history. Uh, yeah. Back in what, 2002 or something like that. When oh, Kodak man. Said, oh, we're sticking to film and we're not going digital. This, that is, it's a blunder of that magnitude if you don't hey, get crypto and understand it. You got to know uh, that, 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 uh, that particular story about Kodak hits right at home with me. I, I grew up 
in Rochester, New York, which is incidentally where I started my law enforcement career as well. That is the home of Kodak. And I saw the demise of Kodak and just how, how that uh, affected the entire community, that city and, and even that region of the state um, because of that decision they made. I mean, they were the single largest employer uh, in Rochester uh, when I was a kid growing up. And um, it was pretty devastating. And it's a good analogy for what happens when we fail to recognize that things are changing around us and we don't adapt to it. Exactly. And this is still, like I said, a nascent technology, but we know it's not going anywhere. And we know it's, and now we know that it is caught on and it is mainstream and it is the future. So if there's any doubt in your mind, which way to go, which the Kodak board really didn't have a whole lot. I mean, they, they knew, but they didn't really know. That's why they made the decision. But, you know, if you're a leader in a law enforcement agency, the writing's on the wall. It's clear where this is going. So, um, yeah, yeah, get get on the boat because it's it's sailing, and, and you got you're either going to do it now or you're going to do it later. Um, I know law enforcement uh, sometimes likes hard knocks, but let's let's not have hard knocks in this, and let's just jump right on the boat and get in there and and start making a difference in, in the cryptocurrency world. Absolutely. Now, Robert, you uh, you are not only the COO of Blockchain Intelligence Group, but you are also a former former law enforcement officer yourself. Is that right? That's correct. I started my law enforcement career back in 1994 in El Paso Police Department, El Paso, Texas. And, you know, a little shout out to my guys over there and gals. Um, El Paso Police Department is a great police department. Well-trained, super well-led under the chief right now, Chief uh, Greg Allen. Great guy. I've known him in some capacity since 94. Um, yeah, one of the safest cities in the U.S., uh, even though we're across the river from one of the most violent cities in the world, war is Mexico. Um, El Paso is still uh, routinely named the second safest city in, in the country. So I'm very proud of my alma mater. I did go over to the feds uh, after about eight years there. I made up the patrol supervisor. Um, I went over to the air marshals for a short time. Uh, I was lucky uh, enough to get picked up, fortunate enough to get picked up by Homeland Security Investigations in 2006. Uh, where I expanded my career, becoming a supervisor, special agent out there, um, and also leading an uh, SRT team for many, many years uh, for Homeland Security investigation. So I've, I've done my time. I've, I've walked around the block many, many times in different law enforcement capacities, and and this is why I'm so passionate about law enforcement. I think uh, I think I bleed blue sometimes, um, but uh, that's where my passion has always has been. And at least in my current role, I'm doing something for law enforcement. Hopefully. And I just still get to dabble in some investigations once in a while and, uh, and, and get out there and get, get some work in. So I really appreciate all the agencies who do call us and, and let us assist them. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm law enforcement through and through. So at what point in your law enforcement career did you become interested in and subsequently become an expert in uh, digital currency? Well, I would... I was in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico, as the resident agent in charge of the Homeland Security Office. Uh, a lot of criminal investigators there, and um, I had the opportunity to go to headquarters, Homeland Security, which is a big headquarters up in D.C. And when you arrive there, you get assigned. Uh, you arrive there as a GS-14 supervisor, and they assign you a program to investigate uh, or or to assist with. You, they they call you a program manager, and they say, "This is your investigative specialty. You need to learn about it. Be the person who." liaisons from the field to the uh, to the um, DC management, the headquarters management on these programs. 
And uh, I had a friend of mine who had actually preceded me up there. He was a 15. And uh, he uh, he said, you want to work for me? You're just getting here. You want to work for me? I said, sure, fine. I'm in this financial group. And uh, so I went over to the financial group where he headed up. And he said, what do you know about Bitcoin? I said, never heard of it in my life. And this is uh, about 2015. And he said, well, um, you better get familiar with it because uh, that's your program. You're going to be the know-all, be-all for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency investigation. So um, it was a steep, steep learning curve. Uh, Shout out to a friend of mine um, who's a great investigator um, out there in Portland, Oregon. I'll leave his name out of this. But uh, he he taught me a lot. He took me through the ropes. He he had done a lot of crypto investigations. And um, yeah, over the years, I've just continue to expand my knowledge, continue to expand investigations, continue to um, think about ways to make this easier and better and the training cycles and how to get that information to police officers and make it stick. Um, and uh, this is where we are today. Um, I think we've done a really good job. Yeah. Now, with learning any new skill, especially one as complex as this, uh, there's always hurdles and mistakes that are made along the way. We've all made them. And I'm wondering, can you share with us a, a story, if you will, of uh, any of a mistake you made early on as you were learning about digital currency that has helped shape how you have formulated these services that you offer and the training that you're offering? Right. So I, th- I think the biggest mistake that I made and that we can also make, and it took me a little while to realize, is, is to look at cryptocurrency as a cyber crime. And people might say, well, it's, it's a cyber crime. It's done over a computer. And I would say to them, you know, when I do a Visa card transaction, it's done over a computer. It's done over the internet, right? It's done over a two-way connection with the internet, with an internet node over a MasterCard or a Visa and from the purchaser to them, right? And they'll agree. And I say, but is that a cyber crime? It's not a cyber crime. It's a financial crime. This is a financial crime. And yes, there's a spot for a computer forensics agent. Um, in this investigation, but this is a financial crime. This is a financial weapon, uh, if you will, uh, in crime to be used in financial ways. So don't think of Bitcoin as, oh, it's that computer thing. I'm going to give it to my cyber department. It doesn't belong there. This belongs with your drug agents, with your firearms agents. This belongs with your gang agents. Gangs are using this. They use cryptocurrency all day long. It's the best way. That and the crypto communication, they're walking circles around law enforcement agencies today because of this. So don't give this to your cyber people. Besides, your cyber staff is probably way understaffed already. Give it to your gang investigator. Give it to your drug investigator. Give it to your financial crimes investigator. They will, all this is, is a form of value in the same old schemes. That was my biggest mistake early days. It's been corrected and it was the right thing to do. That's a really great point, and, and I'd have to say that I'm probably uh, a bit guilty of that uh, misconception as well uh, in, in attributing that to being a cyber crime. Even though I understand its connection to these other very real street-level crimes, um, I think in the back of my mind, that's kind of the way I was looking at it too. So I, I appreciate you pointing that out. So for everybody that's listening to the show right now, uh, that is you know, convinced that they need to look further into training themselves on cryptocurrency uh, and encrypted communications uh, or just working with somebody like you, um, can you tell us what do you think is the most important question that our listeners should be asking themselves right now as they consider 
what to do going forward and whether or not they should pursue something like this? Well, first of all, I think that every agency needs to to strongly consider, you know, raising the bar within their agency for these types of, of crimes involving cryptocurrency because they, they happen. So with that being said, I think the first thing I would question if I was a law enforcement manager, because I spent a lot of time in law enforcement management, uh, I have a degree in that, but I'm doing much good today. But anyway, um, I would probably go do a search in, in the RMS system and say, okay, how many of these cases do we have? Are they out there? Is this a prevalent issue in my community? And then if it's, and if you see that it's not in your RMS system, or it could be, um, go out and talk to your investigators. Hey, have you seen this? Go out and drive around town. Do you see Bitcoin ATMs or crypto kiosks around there? Um, do you have an opioid problem? That right there is your number one indicator that you probably have cryptocurrency flowing somewhere within your community. Now, if you're a large community like we are here in El Paso or Dallas or, you know, Phoenix or something like that, you know, it's, it's, it's a big jurisdiction and you're going to have all kinds of, all kinds of things. But if you're a smaller community and you, and you're struggling with budgets, you know, that, that is a situation where you have to make trade-offs. So go, go do the research and find out if you, if you don't need it and you're not seeing it and you're just having a one case once in a while, well, call me. I'll, I'll help you out. Well, you know, our company will help you out with these, you know, give us a short context and we'll try to help you out the best we can on a, on a one-off case. But if you're a larger agency, Austin, Dallas, Phoenix, Tucson, uh, Chicago, New York, you know, all these other agencies out there that are very large agencies, um, you do have this going on. There's no doubt about it. I'll, I'll show you all day long. And, uh, this is not, it's not really optional anymore. These are, these are training things you need and platforms you need to get your investigators down the line. Absolutely. Now, I guess it would probably be safe to say that you guys don't exactly hold the monopoly on companies that are, that are conducting or working with, uh, cryptocurrency investigations. So what would you say that, uh, those listening to the show right now, uh, what's the most important thing that they need to consider when evaluating someone to work with on these types of cases or to bring in for training? I'm glad you asked that. So you're right. We have about four real competitors additionally um, out there. I will tell law enforcement agencies we are the only one of our kind out there that is truly law enforcement centric. The upper management, the senior management, me and myself, came from law enforcement. And we, we built this uh, tool with law enforcement in mind from step one. Um, we also support law enforcement, and we don't look at law enforcement as deep pockets. Now, a lot of people will say, hey, let's build a tool for the government, for, for DEA, and let's sell it to them for a billion dollars. Uh, and we have, we have uh, you know, a competitor out there that would that kind of sees things like that. I won't name anyone. Um, but the point of the matter is, is DEA doesn't have that kind of money. HSI doesn't have that kind of money. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tucson PD, El Paso PD, all these PDs, they don't have that kind of money either. The point of the matter is that law enforcement is expensive and money tends to go to the squeakiest wheel. And that's patrol, you know, handling family, family fight calls at three in the morning. That's where the money needs to be. And, you know, equipment for those guys that are doing, you know, on the street work. So we try to keep our we try to keep our operation very lean, law enforcement centric, and affordable. All right, that, that's how we try to keep it. Um, we're we're not into to you know bilking law enforcement because they have a billion dollars. That's not the point. The point is to let law law enforcement 
solve crime that affects real people around the world. Awesome. I love that philosophy. Uh, I appreciate that about you guys. So I'd like to uh, you know, just turn things over to you at this point uh, here, Robert, and, and give you the opportunity to plug your stuff. Tell us um, how we can connect with you and uh, where to find you. Right. So our company is called the Blockchain Intelligence Group. Uh, we're a company out of Vancouver, Canada. I actually set in Texas because this is home for me and we remote work these days as, as I think most people do. Um, you know, and I even remoted before the COVID thing hit, so it wasn't much of a change for me. Uh, but we are from, we are a Canadian company with our parent company, Bill Kenny Vancouver. Uh, I have some really great staff up there. Um, the president of the company, Lance Morgan, uh, has just been awesome. Um, at, you know, as, as far as uh, bringing me on and, and letting me kind of lead the way here uh, for law enforcement and, and development of our tools and services. Um, you can contact me. You can get a hold of me um, through our website. You'll see my contact information up there. It's blockchaingroup.io. Uh, That's an I, India, Oscar, uh, blockchaingroup.io. You can go to our, our website. My contact information is there. If you're a law enforcement agent or officer, you're on a traffic stop at 3 in the morning, you see something you think is crypto, you just don't know, you know what? Call me. Please don't do it all the time. But, you know, one office is great. Call me. I'll help you. I've done it many times. Um, certainly, if you have a question about crypto and an investigation um, surrounding crypto or you just don't understand something or you want the training or you want me to just come in and weigh in on something, um, you can contact me by email. I'll get right back to you best I can and uh, I'll give you the advice or I'll put you in contact with any industry leaders that allow you to you know, move forward and get your case down the line. Awesome. And I'd like to point out to everybody too, um, you can go over to Facebook and look up the group Public Safety Innovators. We have a private group set up there uh, that I would love it if you would join. Um, we are screening the individuals that are joining that group to make sure we keep that closed and private group uh, amongst uh, law enforcement and the private security professionals. But Robert is also a member of that group. And so if that's a, another platform you'd like to go to to connect with him or any of our other innovators that are guests on the show, I'd encourage you to head over there and do that. Uh, well, that's a wrap. Robert, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. This was a great episode. I really appreciate it. Adam, thank you for having us. Uh, we appreciate you and what you're doing. And we, uh, we, we hope you have much, much success. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Public Safety Innovators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please head over to my website at publicsafetyinnovatorspodcast.com or simply psi.chat where you can check out episode notes and other episodes from the show. While you're there, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really anywhere else that you prefer to listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate if you could help other people find the show by leaving a review wherever it is that you prefer to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback about the show, a suggestion on a guest, or maybe you're a public safety innovator yourself and would like to be a guest on the show, please head over to my contact page on the website and you can submit that information there or just email me at adam at psi.chat. All right, I'll catch you on the next episode.